0: everyone and welcome to today's podcast, episode 31 of Let's Talk Cloud Networking, Unscripted, with your hosts, as usual, myself, John Gonzalez, and Newman Mustafa. So today we've invited a senior cloud expert to join us to candidly share his knowledge, customer learnings, and experience during his cloud journey, but also give to give our listeners a sense of how customers are thinking and approaching what we would like to call the most fundamental but critical secure cloud networking constructs. So today, we're pleased to be joined by one of our customers, Steve Ward of Siemens Managed Application and Services. Steve is the Infrastructure Manager over there, but also very influential as a thought leader in public cloud. Hi, Steve. Welcome to our podcast. Hi, Steve.
1: Hi, guys. How are you
0: doing? Great. Thank you. Steve, please take a few minutes, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your own personal journey, also the little bit about the rationale why Siemens is moving to cloud, what are the drivers behind your CEO and, and board reasons, and also what your preferred clouds and mindsets are behind that. Is that uh, okay, yes.
2: Steve? Yeah. yeah, that's okay. Yes, um, I'm, I'm Steve Ward. I've been working in IT altogether for about 25 years. Uh, before that, I was in the army straight from school, did a few years doing uh, telecommunications there, not any way related to computer networks, of course, but uh, you you learn about encryption, you learn about security and things like that. When I left I got into IT, uh, working for National Grid on critical national infrastructure, which is your stuff that has to be up 24 by 7, your stuff that uh, cannot be done without effectively. It's essential. You cannot suffer the outages. You cannot get hacked. You cannot have any of the problems that people may live with if they're working in different industries. I've been in the utility sector ever since, working for various companies, managed service provider, w- was called Logico, now called CGI for a long time, mm-hmm. and then with Siemens. Uh, because we're using critical national infrastructure. Um, as I say, it's it's absolutely vital that our systems stay online all the time, that our systems are fully secure, that our systems are compliant with all the regulators, various things that we need to comply with in terms of security, in terms of your best practices, in terms of your networks being completely segregated, that kind of thing, which I'm sure a lot of people will know from working in things like utilities, finance, other sort of sectors. Um, yeah, and we, we've been working in cloud-based environments properly since about 2015. We had a, a secure PCI DSS compliance system that we needed to put into AWS in 2015. Uh, we had a bit of a a bit of a drag and drop moment when we moved it there. It may as well have run in VMware, if I'm honest. We we wanted it to be in AWS. We wanted the mm-hmm. functionality of AWS. But to be honest, I think our management liked the fact that AWS was the new sexy thing that everyone was using. They mm-hmm. wanted to be in with the cool kids, so they wanted us to be in the cloud. Uh, like mm-hmm. I say, we might yes. as well have stuck it in VMware for the way we did it. We, we made servers that had applications installed on them rather than anything being cloud native. We did use RDS in fairness because it was a system that had Oracle natively and went for Oracle enterprise RDS with very little tweaking done to it. So that was more or less dragged and dropped. Apart from that, the the comms were not done very well. We, we did them in the same way you might do comms within VMware again, mm-hmm. because that was one of our skill sets previously. Uh, I, I'm more from a Unix background rather than a networks background. So I looked after a lot of the systems there and tried to re engineer some of them after the event, after we've moved them into, make them more secure, make them work better, tidy up your security groups, and um, working with our security engineers and security architects, things like that, trying to make things work properly. But it was a case of fixing after the event, which we've found listening to a lot of your podcasts, it resonates that a lot of people have had mm-hmm. that kind of journey that moved into a cloud platform and then tweaked it to fit the cloud platform rather than moving things natively to the cloud platform. Uh, speaking to AWS, that seems quite a common, common thing that they've had with their customers. And uh, Siemens have a large AWS footprint and really great guys from AWS that we work with. So it's, they, they have dedicated architects who work with us, and they advise us some of these things have been common pitfalls that people have had along the years, and we were just one of the earlier companies mm. from Siemens to, to use AWS, and that's why we encountered them first. Yeah,
0: that's great. That's really interesting. Um, it's um, is. What do you think the, 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 the drivers, the thought, you know, from your senior leaders, your CEO, even for for moving into AWS, was it just, you know, cloud is a new sexy thing to do? I must go do it, and um, let's just for, go do it. Do you think? For or, some
2: people, yeah? it was they, they they were talking to because because we utilities is quite a yeah. quite an embedded industry where all of your customers, all of your rivals, are very close to each other. They know each other. They know what each other are working on. We wanted to be the first to market with a cloud-based solution for a, uh, the the solution at the time, it was a pay-as-you-go metering. So people who have prepaid meters, uh, utilities meters that you put prepayment cards on. Mm -hmm. We wanted to be first to market with that. And we wanted to be first to market with a cloud-based solution for that because it's a selling point. At the time, Mm -hmm. if something was cloud-based, it showed that you were a forward-thinking company. Mm -hmm. In terms of our management in the IT function itself, we wanted to look at OPEX rather than CAPEX. We would do a massive capital expenditure every five years or so, spend a couple of million pounds upgrading all your hardware, move everything onto your new platforms. We wanted to move from that to having more predictable operational expenditure and that was the main driver for the IT function. Instead of having to ask for a couple of million pounds every five years, we'd ask for a few hundred thousand pounds every year. Yeah, uh, and that, that way it'd be predictable costs. And we could recharge costs if we're doing additional work. That, that kind of driver was where we were coming from it. From a business, though, like I say, we, we wanted the PR of it as much as we wanted the technology at the time. And we wanted mm-hmm. to race there. We wanted to be first to market, which is why we pretty much went with the stick what we know, stick with our skill set. We've got your server guys. We've got your virtualization guys. We've got your networks guys. We've got your DBAs. And we've got the architects for the whole thing together. We approached it the same way as we, if we were building it within VMware. Mm-hmm. And that's why mm-hmm. I think we ended up where we were.
1: Yeah, I think this is a, a great point. There are multiple angles to this, right? So obviously OPEX, you know, is is widely known why people may want to go. But then, as you said, right, having that digital experience provided to your customer is extremely important because people do want to do business with companies who are digitally transforming themselves and providing them more convenient service offerings. And if you look at all the uh, millennials and Gen Z, they they like to work with those companies. They like to be, you know, a subscriber to those companies who can do things... uh, as you go or on the phone, on the mobile phones. Uh, so it's a very important, so it's a multi-pronged approach. And obviously, once you are in the cloud, as you said, right, you, you have options to provide more uh, revenue streams, more business, uh, more service offerings to your customer, leveraging maybe the capabilities of the clouds and then stay ahead of the curve. And when it comes to comparing your offerings, uh, offerings to a competition, I think it would just make sense, right? So a lot of people have this view in their mind and that's why they are sort of, they want, they're taking that step to move to the cloud and then figure out, you know, obviously they get three or four things right away, but then over time, uh, the exponential benefit is huge, right? Um, so, and, and and look, so once you move into the cloud, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, uh, people are people actually looking for agility, right? And, and once they move to the cloud, they want to do things quickly. They don't want to spend months and months to get service up and running, just like they used to have in on-prem world, because cloud... Actually, uh, expects a more agile environment, um, and then what I see that people you know start to start with a DIY approach because when you go to a CSP like AWS, right, and say hey, I want to move my 50 applications to start with, they will say yeah, we have everything you want, and all you do is just go and build. That's go build is what the mantra is, and um, they expect uh, you to have people with you know DevOps skills and cloud formation and 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 uh, Terraform, and people do hire people or they have few people who can do this magic initially to start with, but soon they realize or customer realize that this is way too complicated for an enterprise because enterprises are used to consuming things. Um, and then I think it's, I think you mentioned in one of the earlier conversation early on that you know enterprises are not software houses, right? So uh, not every enterprise uh, or even I would say bigger enterprise are now realizing this after two years into the journey that, hey, this is way too difficult because I'm now sort of uh, you know, hosting an army of AWS, an army of Azure, an army of GCP, and this is not the way to scale the biz- business, right? So what are your thoughts in terms of what you have seen uh, in terms of how people, when they move to the cloud, did you also started with DIY, and then you figured out the same way, or what has been your experience in that regard?
2: Yeah, in, in that regard, we, we worked, we, we were a square peg in a round hole for a long time, we were trying to put more things into, uh, principally AWS. Also, we're doing some things into Azure at the time, and we were finding that we weren't doing it correctly because we're approaching it as we used to approach uh, things in VMware, and it, it's not cloud native. Again, we we did have a, a lot of a lot of contractors we got in to do some of the cloud formation. We upskilled some of our own team. We had a large digitization program, very successful. we Managed to get. Um, 70 major application stacks in there in a fairly short space time, about nine months or so. Massive job. But then we didn't retain all the skills of the people who did that because a lot of them were contractors, very expensive uh, resources because they're so good. But then obviously we can't afford to keep them on full time. Once you've done the migration, it's, it's a case of maintenance, which is not as complex. So most of the staff that remained We're probably not as skilled up because you don't need to be to maintain things as you do to migrate them. Uh, We found a lot of the agility that we were looking for. We have been able to change products quite quickly. When, When you're looking at the every five years do a massive capex and then someone says, I want to do this project. It means either you buy more kits so you can do the capex. You're talking a few months lead time to buy the kit, install the kit, configure the kit, get the applications installed or you're squeezing more onto the resources you've got so you you might have a server that's 75% utilized you stick another application on there it's now 80% 85% utilized it starts performing slowly or it starts having less less business continuity cover because you're utilizing more of the resources and there's less to go spare if something breaks so in in those terms on-premise was not very agile because you You would not, in my industry, take the risk of doing that. You would buy extra kit in. It would mean a three to six month delay if you're kicking off a project. In AWS, in Azure, in OCI, we found that you can start something up within, well, you could start it up immediately. But realistically, if you're looking at a project start to finish, you're putting a new product line in, you can take a couple of months in, in those couple of months, you'd still be in the procurement exercise if you were on-premise. But you've got a couple of months to get a whole product out there. So it's mm-hmm. brilliant. Or if you want to rework a product and you want to say, we've won a new customer who wants to access our products in this way, they want to use this different communications technology to access us, or so that, that they would rather hit an API than log in through a web server, that, those kind of things. You can change those things quite quickly if you're working in, in cloud-based platforms. Uh, Mm, yeah. SaaS providers and, and other platform and service providers as well. So many of those things, the, there are so many options available to you. The complexity brings its own problems, of course, but it gives you more options and it means that you're not tied to purchasing in advance, which is always the issue with us. And you're not tied to, you're not as limited as we used to be. Um, yeah, in terms of skills as well, we, we found that we've been, some of our team have skilled up really, really quickly, and they only want to work in AWS now. And they think AWS is the universe, or they only want to work on OCI, for example, and they think OCI is, is the universe. We're trying to bring it all together in multi-cloud. We're trying to make sure that we have the hybrid cloud because we've still got a huge, huge on-premise because some of, some of the way our industry works, you need physical devices for utilities industry. We've still got loads of corporate stuff that's offshore because we're a global enterprise. So as an enterprise IT, we have to have global reach for some of our products. They're not owned by us. They're owned by our parent company. So we need to integrate with them. We need to integrate with Microsoft 365. We've got Active Directory to integrate with. It's really complicated, the whole picture. All the different teams who are managing the different stacks within our environments, they are in their own little bubble, in their own little world to an extent. We try and pull the whole thing together in terms of architecture, which is for us the really complicated bit. Yeah. So that that that's 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 the good and the bad of having cloud-based technologies. You've got lots of little silos, and trying to hold hold them all together in a way that works. And to be honest, that's that's what led us to you guys
0: and, Try, and Steve, trying to just, get
2: something to work.
0: Yeah, just go back to, you know, your your opening intro, Siemens. Uh, you know, you have to be compliant. You have to say. in in line with global regulators, your own internal audit teams, et cetera. So your early cloud journey back in 2015, 16, 17, et cetera, using native constructs, how did you find um, the challenges with, you know, things like audit, login, et cetera, having to prove um, that you have that full control, having to prove that, you know, when regulators came to you in a certain region, certain countries, you know, can we that you're in full compliance with your services that you're providing from cloud?
2: Well, this again is uh, if we knew then what we know now, we'd have done things completely differently. We we worked in a very siloed way as our way of controlling it and our way of proving we have control. We made sure that we kept our only our DBAs had access to our databases. We didn't have a team of DevOps who would manage the infrastructure and manage the applications and manage the database. For compliance reasons, mm-hmm. we only allowed the DBAs to have access to databases, so it was a very siloed way of doing it. Our applications were installed on EC2 instances, so rather than having cloud-native things that a team of DevOps would be working with that would integrate here, there, and everywhere, we literally just had, as I say, it might as well have been VMware, EC2 instances with applications installed on them and people logging in through Putty to manage them or logging in through web pages mm-hmm. to manage them. It was, it was very mandraulic. It was not how you would do things in the modern world. It might as well have just been something dragged and dropped from 2005 into a cloud-based yeah. platform. <laughs> and and that that was mostly for compliance reasons though because we wanted a way to prove that we had role based access control a way to prove that we had least privilege as we matured we found other ways of doing it we found other ways you could use use your iam policies for example to say people can only access these explicit resources then you can prove that you've got your devops team can access all of these different areas can change all these different areas but only to explicit resources which is a much more intelligent way of doing it but that was that was something it took us about three years to get to
0: yeah, yeah. you and you it, mentioned it sorry you mentioned in party takes me back <laughs> <laughs> that yes. in itself is not secure
1: <laughs> yeah and, <laughs> and steve coming back to um your point about uh, this centralized governance i think there are many customers that we have who actually are exactly in the same situation right because if you look at cloud, right, it, it actually organically grew. The different teams who were getting stuck or slowed down uh, but because of the on-prem IT, right? It takes in months, and what they have is credit card, right? So what they do is, okay, I have this beautiful AWS or whatever Azure, I'm going to swap the card and it can start to do things on my own. Right. So they start people started to do, do things in pockets, right? So it, they start creating their own bubbles, right? So one team A, team B, manufacturing, HR, whatever, they start doing their own things. And now all of a sudden when the CEO and board is saying, hey, we are moving to the cloud. And then now you are basically being a regulated industry. People are looking at security and compliance and say, hey, are you doing things the right way? Are you protecting customer data? Is it secure? The DevOps are saying, hey, this is not my job. It's supposed to be my infrastructure team or IT team. Right? So now they're saying, hey, you come and fix it. And all of a sudden now they're coming in and they're looking at, okay, how do I basically take a centralized governance and control approach of those, so many different environments because I, c- I cannot just completely dismantle them, right? Because they are doing things for the, the business. So this is where I think where every trick is coming into the picture where you have the centralized management, centralized security, centralized governance, centralized visibility, and it takes control of the entire ecosystem, whether it's in one cloud or the other cloud. And basically it allows you to have that common set of policies that you as infrastructure team wants without slowing down that business, right? without slowing down the applications. So do they continue to do the things like the VPC and VNet with proper permissions, you, you don't sort of stop their agility because that's why they initially went to the cloud. You don't want to continue to want to make your applications team more agile, but at the same time, you want to make sure your business is secure, your business protected, and you're able to meet the auditors and, and compliance uh, regulations that your industry comes in. So it's a, it's a great point. And, and, one thing I want to also ask about is security, right? Because security is something that initially people have this uh, uh, this uh, you know mindset that cloud is more secure, this on-prem. Uh, and then they used to have this concept of security as a shared responsibility. AWS will always say that shared responsibility. And then me and John, and we, we figured out in this podcast, a hey, shared responsibility means no responsibility. But at the end of the day, if there's a breach happens, right? You cannot blame AWS. AWS will never take the blame. They will always blame, hey, this is supposed to be your job because you are supposed to build the posture and you need to have proper segmentation and you need to have proper encryption. You need to have proper isolation, uh, micro segmentation in place. And this is where I think initially, I think uh, you can tell us about your story because I think you may be using some firewall vendors in the on-prem world. You move to the cloud. The first reaction that we have seen is, People say, okay, let's move whatever we have because we know how it works. We have the operational muscle about it. But then people realize that cloud is a lot different. right? And there's something that, I mean, it's very fascinating because if you go back, uh, you know, 1990s when Cisco built their, uh, you know, became the networking leader for the on-prem world. Why why is that they never came out with firewall embedded into the router or switches? Why did they give an opportunity to Apollo Alto or a checkpoint to build a completely different company? Because... Security was always an afterthought. It was never a primary thing that they wanted to meet, right? So it was never a part of routing and switching infrastructure. It gives an opportunity to other firewall vendors uh, like to, to basically come in. And, and to be honest, Palo Alto Network should not be Palo Alto Network. They should be Palo Alto Firewall because that's what they do, right? Networking was Cisco. But in security, Uh, In cloud, right? security, there's an opportunity to rethink security and and it needs to be a part of that network. So think about Cisco doing the right thing right from the start where security is built into your fabric. And this is what Avatrix is doing where security is built into the fabric, not bolted on because it's always going to be suboptimal. And then, yeah, you can leverage things to do like service insertion way where you can go and leverage these different uh, highly specialized appliances to do things, but then you provide customer a choice. Right? from Your perspective, from Siemens' perspective, how did you look at security? And now, with this auditors and compliance coming in and saying, Hey, this is becoming a lot more mission critical, there are a lot of breaches happening. I want to make sure that you are compliant uh, infrastructure. How are you rethinking this security posture uh, from your perspective in at Siemens?
2: That's, that's a brilliant question. It actually is a large part of the reason that we were working with Aviatrix in the first place because we we have had full compliance. It's very difficult for us to prove to our internal auditors. Siemens as a company are very, very keen on security. We update our policies regularly. And it's not, it's not my guys. We are a company owned by Siemens. Siemens as a corporation have a whole team that look after security. They look at the best recommendations from you likes of CIS, for example. They look at their recommendations and they regularly give us these are the guidelines you have to follow to meet your corporate compliance. We also have things from electricity, gas regulators, water regulators, people like that to say these are what we need you to meet, the government compliance, for example, uh, and various other various other industries we work with. But the main thing is, as a corporation, we say these are the baselines you need for your security. We audit people against this. We have agents running on there, so we, we use Tools on every system, on every AWS account, every Azure subscription. We have embedded tools working with them that report back to the mothership. They report back and say, These are the versions of software running, these are the versions of OS running, these are the configurations that we have around our security settings. This is if we're using Trusted Advisor, well, everyone uses Trusted Advisor. This is if we're using Guard Duty. For example, this if we're using AWS config, um, AWS's process is mostly what we're doing. So these are, for example, they they report back to the corporate entity to say, this is what we're doing in terms of security. This is how we're monitoring it. Have we got encryption on all of our EBS volumes, Mm -hmm. as an example? Have we got all of our RDS secured in the right way? Have we got security groups that are explicit instead of open? Those kind of questions. The thing that we didn't have, and that a lot of people don't have, I would say probably 90-odd percent of people who using cloud-based services don't have properly, egress control. Mm-hmm. That's where we, we came to Aviatrix. We found it very difficult without, without having a cloud firewall in place. We found it very difficult to prove our egress controls because nearly everything is zero-zero. Yeah, yeah. That's the recommendation is zero zero. So so you can so you can do your patching, so you can you can push and pull. Mm -hmm. Nearly everything recommendation is zero zero. So although you have your transit gateways, you have knuckles, you you Mm -hmm. have your security group set up, you have all the things set up, you have explicit peering, you have your VPNs, all the things set up in a way that you've got explicit access only. And then outbound, it's every, it, it's open outbound. Mm-hmm. Somebody could get onto your system somehow. They can send all of your data anyway. You do nothing about it because you've got no egress control. And that oh, was yeah. where, where we came to Aviator. It's because Francesco, our security architect, he was he was basically investigating the best way to handle this. He looked at a number of different companies, and our our two things we were lacking were proper end-to-end network monitoring. Mm-hmm so we could control things um, in a more modern way and egress control. And he found your product was pretty much the only thing that could do everything that we wanted that was on his shopping list. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think the the key reason for that also is, uh, sorry, sorry, John, just to add one more thing to it, right? Because some people they they may try to do this through a, uh, you know, existing firewall vendor, like, you know, Hey, how about I, shove in my Palo Alto or a checkpoint from on-prem to the cloud. But the problem is a lot of those things, they do not even know that they're in the cloud, right? So there is no control mm-hmm. plane. There is no management, simplified management or centralized management. There's no operations, uh, uh, simplified operation. Visibility is not there. And then in many cases, you are trying to uh, boil the ocean way too much and, exp- and, and paying hefty cost, right? So if you, for, for example, right, for just just this use case, right? If you try to, and this is some, some research we were doing uh, the other day, it, you know, because all of these CSPs are also coming out with firewalls, right? And, you know, if you try to use some other firewalls, you might end up paying half a million dollar more just for that specific use case that you are already getting as part of embedded fabric that you have uh, that is basically running on top of your infrastructure. So, see, cost is another imp- important design pillar, right? Because you need to have all these different things, but then, how costly that thing is, is is an important factor that that people are considering. And I think this egress FQDN is is perfect because at the end of the day, it's just part of that built-in security that we've just talked about. Uh, And then we'll continue to have a lot more like anomaly detection and threat prevention and detecting outages proactively. All of those would come from that uh, data plane that that we have. Uh, Sorry, John, I didn't want to- No, no,
0: that's fine. And and Steve, those 90% that don't have that sort of egress control, they either decide, well, I'm never going to give internet access to my application, VPC, or I'm going to bring it all the way back to on-prem through my proxy, through my firewall, and um, let's see how that works. you know. But what I've seen now, talking to a lot of different people, is that they um, they realize that's a short-lived tactical approach, and you know, having um, internet access directly in the cloud application, etc., is... Is going to be a um, a much needed functionality that they're going to use. So, you know, and and the, the FQD and filtering that we provide, I think, is, is pretty good for yeah. for that use case. You know,
2: absolutely.
1: So, um, go ahead, Steve.
2: Oh no, I was going to say another another thing we find a lot a lot of systems struggle with is layer seven. A lot a lot yeah. cannot handle DNS resolution. They're all no. they're all looking for a fixed IP address and uh, and again, it's something that we can use Aviatrix rather than rather than trying to find all these proxy servers for us to fit through, for example. It, it's so much simpler to use a platform that can handle it for
1: you. Yeah, so that's great. So Steve, um, I think we have about eight minutes left. So I wanted to ask this question and then uh, maybe we can go over some uh, lessons learned and, and key takeaways. Mm-hmm. Uh, the One thing I wanted to find out is what would be your advice to cloud architects or people right who are sort of taking this on from a technical perspective on which route to go and and the reason why i ask is the cloud architects are also confused right they, they are distracted confused because they're people saying different things to them right so they are going to csp they say to them hey go and build we have everything then they go to an on-prem vendor VMware, hey you put everything on vmc or aws then they go to checkpoint and Paul Aldo say yeah we have cloud solution they go to Cisco they said yeah we have ACI now we are adding cloud to its name and it became a cloud ACI so how about you push cloud cloud into ACI into the cloud or NsX into the cloud so they are they are basically also distracted confused in terms of looking at things and what I've found that you know for, and this is I'm referring to one of the architect that came to our podcast his name is Steve Wagner from Lufthansa he said that the first thing I, I did was, or he did was, I, I, we made our foundational principles. What is those two or three foundational principles that I will not, um, you know, compromise when I'm building my architecture, right? So from very early on, you know, their business, their CEO, their business decided that they cannot be locked in. They need to build an architecture that can use the best of breed for all the services. It needs to be built in secure, right? It cannot have a security as an afterthought. Right. It needs to have visibility troubleshooting and my operations team because that's going to be the team that's going to be managing this every single day once I implement this. I want to make sure they are successful. And then it needs to be built on cloud native capabilities, especially when you are in the cloud and allow you to connect to on-prem and hybrid, as you said, hybrid multi-cloud. So I'm not going to compromise on those foundational principles. And anytime someone tried to sell him something that only works in one cloud, his answer is, hey, that's not aligned to my foundational principle. It cannot go in my network. right? Because what he said is, you know, my CEO wants me to build something that's future-proof, right? that's supportable, that's manageable. right? And it cannot be something that I deploy and later on, I cannot manage it because all the requirements are not known. It's, it's a future-proof architecture, but the business don't know what the requirements are because things are changing so rapidly. But I need to build this architecture. So from your perspective, what has been your experience and what would be, do you agree with this advice or what would be your advice for people because then you know they can actually s- take a step back and then say, okay, let me just make sure that I know what my principles are. And I'm going to then see, okay, what fits into those principles as opposed to later in figuring out and then trying to redo things uh, which can be a lot disruptive.
2: Yeah, I, I, I would say I agree with just about all of that. I, I, I come from an operational IT background. So as far as I'm concerned, the guys who manage it 24 by 7, you guys who are on call, We we always used to go, and we should always go, off the principle. It needs to be built in such a way that someone can fix it if it breaks at 3 a.m. on a Sunday morning. It needs to be probably documented in that way as well. It needs to be layered in the way that the guys who are supporting it understand it, first of all. It also needs to be, as you say, secure by design. That's absolutely critical because you need to patch these things. You need to harden these things. The security posture changes regularly. You should always, always make it as simple as possible to keep up to state. Uh, the in and out of the network, as simple as possible again. So you, you want things to be manageable. Uh, they're very, very complex, especially when you're working with software solution providers. They uh, The integration across different network topologies, uh, we, we find certainly a lot of software solution providers we're using the vpns will fall over certain tunnels will drop because you're going between people who are using such different technologies some really old some really new they're not compatible with one another you've got to find that way which is again what we're using aviator for you've got to find that way of finding something that is compatible multi-cloud that is compatible in a hybrid solution so you're going old on-premise with new cloud Uh, you need to find things in a way in our industry you could invoke disaster recovery and you're not going to suffer a major outage so it needs to be repeatable in that way that you can invoke dr you can Mm -hmm. get there quickly you are not looking at being down for three days if you invoke dr you're looking at being being down for hours if you invoke dr if you can Mm -hmm. help it Uh, that that's that's what we're looking at so simplicity as well as that building building from the ground up so you're looking after your network and security. You're looking after your core infrastructure. We, we actually have base infrastructure as one of our main stacks that is not related to any of our application stacks. We have base infrastructure as a stack on its own, and then the application stacks use the base infrastructure rather than them amending the base infrastructure. So we, we work on that kind of principle that you've got your security, your networking built in first, and then everything piles on top of it. You've got your access control. We, we use RBAC for everything because we need to prove that we're doing role-based access. We we have integration with various third parties, various vendors, which obviously is the right thing to do because you're looking to use a service rather than rewrite 500 applications yourself. You're looking at the simplest way to deliver, path of least resistance. It's cheaper in the long run. And it takes a problem off your hands because you're not having to look after 500 Apache servers. You're just having to look after a service that connects to something that handles your API calls or something like that. So it's, simplicity is where we get to where we need to get to. It's where we get to our reliability. Like I say, I'm from an operational background. I, I care about things being reliable rather than things being Changing constantly and things being at the newest of everything and always using the latest technology, I want something to be reliable. That's why I say, I say we're an enterprise, not a software house. We need to be, we need to be agile. We need to be able to make updates and stay at the same pace or ahead of our competition. But we have to realize that with a large enterprise, we've got to be sensible about this and we've got to say everything is secure. The networks are not going down. And that, that's where we need to be from an infrastructure perspective. The guys look after the applications, by all means, they, and they do, they go, this is the latest technology, we're using it, we're agile, we're selling things to customers, we're doing a great job, and everyone loves us. And they've got us in the background holding, holding things up and keeping our mouths shut.
0: Yeah, And, and I think you know, for an enterprise, if, if you don't have availability, then everything else doesn't exist. Yeah. If you're not available, if, if, you go, if you're going down, no point having great security, you're down. Yeah. Your customers can't reach you. You're already in, I won't use the swear word. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah. but one thing I was going to say about the guiding principles, if, if, if folks just think about it as putting them into your risk management practices, right? You know, I've got to have reliability. I've got to be able to do disaster recovery. And these are all part of good risk management practices and just tick them off one by one as you as you go through it. And then when your audit compliance or regulators come and ask you, what are your risk management practices for your infrastructure in the cloud? You can pull out your your sheet of paper and show them quite easily. Um, but what what I find is though so still a lot of large enterprises, they go into this thinking they're going to be one cloud. I can, I've only got the chance to look at one cloud. I can't even think about another cloud, you know, and therefore their infrastructure is built just for that, you know, walled garden of that AWS or GCP, wherever they go. Then in the future, when they go to another cloud, they're scratching their heads, you know, it's, hang on, I've got an infrastructure at AWS. Now I need another infrastructure for GCP. How do I join these together? How do I manage these? You know to, you know, with one visibility across all these clouds and you know they haven't this is because they haven't really thought about the longer term strategy they thought about something tactical to get them up and running which is fine as long as they realize at the time I'm going to have to change at some point in the future you know and I'm going to have to do a lot of retrofitting as well
2: yeah I- Completely agree with that. And we, we have found that ourselves as, as we started to use, like I say, Azure, Microsoft 365, OCI on top of our AWS and, and our on-premise infrastructure. We, we found the incompatibilities between these things, certainly in terms of comms, also in terms of security, because they're not built to work with one another. Yeah. AWS is built to work with AWS. Azure is built to work with Azure. And they are absolutely brilliant working that way. They're not brilliant at working together because that's not how they were built. And again, that that is why we're using Aviatrix yeah. for interlinking the, the different yeah. elements. And like I say, the XAAS bits, we've got plenty of really brilliant people that we work with at lots of different providers for platform and software service, infrastructure service, who will not work in conjunction with one another, mm-hmm. who are working at different speeds and we just need something, which again, like I said, that, that's what we use Aviatrix to plug a gap. Yeah, I think that's, they, they need something that can speak at each speed rather like, than us trying to bring tunnels back up when they fall over regularly.
1: Yeah, and I think that's why one of our customers said that you know, by themselves working in silos or separately, it's a chaos and Aviatrix brings calmness to that chaos uh, and and make them work effectively for for the business so yeah so i think uh, steve we, this is a great discussion um, yeah. i just it feels like we keep going and going uh, more but we have we have al- almost over time and we want to basically uh, ask this last question we want to leave our audience with uh, one key takeaway from your perspective on what would be your advice uh, to your audience who are listening in terms of uh, certain advice or you know, what you think is one key takeaway that they should think about when they're going to the cloud?
2: Right. When you're first going to the cloud, don't do what I did. Look at what the costs are going to be as you're moving to the cloud, because you will fall into the trap of saying, we will sort this out later. And then tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars later, you'll say, I really wish I'd sorted that out before we (laughs) raced ahead. Uh, It's going to cost you a lot of money if you do not get your right sizing in place. And most of all, use the cloud for what it's best for. What the cloud is best for is you bring things up when you need them, you shut them down when you don't. If you're not doing that, you might as well be in VMware, in a data Mm -hmm. center, because it's going to cost you more money than if you were.
0: It's that's great. great advice that is great advice because people very very often overlook costs they just want to get to the cloud my cto told me get to the cloud you know um and then six months later the cost realization starts biting great. good advice steve fantastic opportunity to talk with you today really appreciate your time um this is the conversation steve yeah Great insights, great conversations.
2: Thanks, guys. It's, it's great to catch up with you as well, and yeah. uh, really appreciate the work you guys do. And thanks for the opportunity of being on the podcast. Yeah, our, so.
0: pleasure. our pleasure, My pleasure. Thanks best a best lot. Best this best will be out in a few days by the weekend, I guess. New
1: right? Yeah, hopefully today. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Thanks a lot, Steve. Take care, buddy. Bye bye.
2: Thank you. You too. Bye.